This is the Unnamed Financial Podcast, a crash course in financial literacy. If you feel left out of the markets, join me, Matt Gregory, and stock market expert Peter Raschuti as we navigate the basics of Wall Street. On today's episode, what is a stock? Told you, it's a pretty basic podcast. And we look at why Wall Street is suddenly optimistic for 2021. All right, so today we're talking about first, what is a stock? And joining me is Peter Raschuti, our stock market expert. Peter, if you could just give everybody at home uh, your CV, your curriculum vitae. Ah, I started in this business uh, at Kidder Peabody in Boston, an investment banking firm. And then I moved to Louisiana and became the chief investment officer. So I was managing all the state's money here for about five years, about $3 billion. And uh, then I started a program at Tulane called Birken Road Reports. And it's the only program like this in the country where students actually write investment research reports. And uh, now I still teach uh, 35 years at Tulane and I have a radio show on uh, NPR down here called Out to Lunch where I interview small business people and entrepreneurs about the joys and tribulations of running a business. So this is really, uh, this is your wheelhouse. And I was wondering if you could help us out today with, you know, the most obvious thing. I know everyone my age, probably everyone from since I was in middle school on talks about stocks. They want to talk about trading them, missing out on them, how they can make millions off them, how they lost something in them. But no one really ever sits down and talks about what is a stock exactly. And I know it sounds elementary, but I thought you could walk us through that. Well, a stock, if you buy a stock, a share of stock, it means you own a very, very, very tiny uh, part of a corporation. And uh, and it's kind of a funny ownership. You know, it's not like you uh, own a specific asset. It's not like there's a desk at the company with uh, with your name on it. And uh, and it's not like you could go to the company and give them advice, just walk around trying to help them. That's not what it is. You're a passive investor. So you, uh, you own this piece. And that's another term you hear all the time is IPO, initial public offering. And that's when, because not all companies are public. Uh, for instance, the pizza parlor down the street is probably just owned by the uh, that single person. But a public company, is when a company was private and it gets divvied up into all different pieces. Let's say a mi- they break it up to a million different shares, a million shares of stock, and you can go out and buy those shares. And if you bought one share, you would own one millionth of that company. And uh, this is this is the way it works. The other thing that people don't get is that the after the initial public offering, which raises money for the company, that's how they were able to get money to expand and do everything else. After that, this trading of the stock has little or nothing to do with the actual company issuing the, uh, uh, issuing the shares. Uh, it's just you uh, buying and selling a stock through other investors. Uh, you'll buy it through a broker uh, on an exchange, but not through the company or anything like that. And um, one of the most interesting parts is essentially what you own. If you were to back up from 30,000 feet is you own a share in the profitability of that company. And that's why uh, you know, one of the things we always remind investors is that the stock market is not reflective of the economy. It's a, it's a projection on corporate uh, profits down the road. When you talk about owning a stock, you're, you, obviously you're owning a percentage. Is there some sort of like real world uh, equatability to it? Like say if, I, if my friend wants to start a pizza shop and I give him some money, I now own a percentage of his profits. Is that how that works or? Yeah. That pizza place uh, wanted to expand and make a second uh, pizza uh, pizza shop. Uh, he would divide up the company, take the whole company, break it up into uh, pieces, and then sell off those pieces to investors. 
and that's the way it would and at that point it would be a public company now the interesting thing is if you're a private company you can pretty much run the business the way you want but if you're a public company you have to answer to a lot of people and probably more importantly there's a lot of laws to follow from these security exchange commissions so uh, it's funny a lot of companies that go public later say wow i wish i was still private and i could just run this thing the way i always wanted to We've seen, I think, Elon Musk say that a couple of times with his companies. Yes, I, I sat on the board of a company and uh, we met once a quarter. And at the end of every meeting, I, somebody would be frustrated and say, oh, let's just take this company private. You know, it was like, it was the default. <laughs> it was, it's a pain in the neck being a, being a public company. And when you're talking about trading of stock, so I, I assume this whole thing started with people saying, I want to be able to expand my business. I need people to invest in it. I'll give them a piece of this in exchange for their money. That's what you're doing now, even on a, at a stock exchange scale, I take it. Right, but only in the initial public offering. It's uh, after that, the money's been earned uh, through the public offering, the company got the money and they really have nothing to do with it after that. It's just, you could, uh, if you're going to be mean about it, it's just a casino on the side. And <laughs> it is, uh, um, and the thing is, of course, why do you own a stock? You, you own a stock because you hope to make a return. And the way you'd make that return is that you hope the stock price goes up and that's what we call capital appreciation or capital gain. And potentially it could pay out dividends to the shareholder. And those are the two ways you make money. Uh, basically a company, earns profits, we hope, <laughs> and uh, they, let's say they earn, a, um, they earn $100,000, uh, probably a pretty lousy quarter actually, but uh, that number, but let's say they earn $100,000. Uh, there is a group called the board of directors for every co public company, and they are there, and there's usually about a dozen of them, and they act in the interest of shareholders, and they're going to decide of that $100,000, how much are we going to give back to shareholders, and how much are we going to keep and reinvest back in the company? So if a company needs the money, let's say they're involved in some high tech or high growth area, they're not going to give you any dividend because they're thinking, you know, if I give you a dividend, you're going to like buy a Heineken with it or something like that. You know, I send you a little check. It'd be much better off if I just kept it and reinvested in the company and then we could get the company's profits to grow and that share price would grow for you. So some companies you're looking for a capital gain. And others, you're looking for a capital gain plus a dividend. All right. It's, it's like you said, it, people see it like a casino. People are looking for an immediate payoff. But like, what's an ideal stock situation if you're just like somebody who just wanted to start investing and you understand that it's not a casino? Ah, in fact, one of the things is Warren Buffett always comes out and says, remember, you are an owner of this company. And uh, the, I think the best way to make money, and I've been doing it for 40 years, is I've known hundreds and hundreds of people that have made millions and millions of dollars. And then what they did is they bought a good quality stock, shares in a good quality company or a good quality mutual fund and just held on. You know, I know people that have held stock for 50 years and they ride it up and ride it down. But in the long run, uh, they've made very good money. The, those are investors, but we don't, I think we ought to think about it in those terms. Those are investors. What we're talking about on the other side is speculators or you hear about day traders. They, they, their idea of a long-term hold is to you know, own the company for like a minute. And, um, and I, I will tell you, if you teach young people, that's what really fascinates them. You know, the, the speech, teaching long-term investment fundamentals is, is a pretty sad thing to try, but I've been pulling it along here for 35 years, but it is, it is in the end what counts. So there's two kinds, when I think about investors, on one side, there's two kinds of investors. There's individual investors like you and me, and then there's institutional investors, and that would be like a mutual fund or a hedge fund or a pension fund. 
they're investing big pieces of money for other people. And when you invest in a mutual fund, you're pooling your money with all kinds of other folks and some professionals are trying to decide which stocks are going to go up and which ones are going to go down. So if we look at that as one category and the other category being investors versus speculators, you can kind of see where everything lays. Yeah, uh, it's you're right, though. It's not as sexy to be a lot to say, I'm going to put money in Procter and Gamble, $10,000. Now watch it right. It's a lot better to do 500. It shoots up to 5000. I'm not saying it's better, but that seems like that's what everyone wants. That seems to be oh, yeah. what everyone talked about on Wall Street bets. And our, you know, our stock research program with the students, we have a company that is really done very, very well. It's called Pool Corporation. It's the largest wholesaler of swimming pool equipment. They're tremendously sexy, as you can well, well imagine. But uh, we've, followed, we've written on them for 22 years, and the stock's gone from $0.25 cents to $350. And uh, pretty amazing. But when you, And I'll say that, but then the students will go, like, how long did you hold it? Like, thinking it was like a minute. It's like, 22 years. You know, it's like... <laughs> just beyond them (laughs) when it comes to stocks like what's the number one thing you would tell people to look at i mean i always i had a guy who was an editor at one of my first tv stations and he apparently on paper according to other folks in the room but he would never confirm was worth like two million dollars he had got a lot of mcdonald's stock in the 80s no one knew we just kind of had this rumor going around but he would always pull up the stocks and talk to me about them. And he would say, look at your, you know, P slash E price per earnings. Look at your dividend. What are those things you're looking for? If you're like those looking are, at a stock. Those are two great ones to look at. Uh, the first is that PE. And uh, a lot of people think PE stands for gym, you know, physical education or uh, pulmonary embolism. You don't want that. Uh, <laughs> but what we're looking at there is, uh, is price divided by earnings. And it tells you, how expensive is that stock based on the current earnings for the company? So if you have a stock that sells at $20 a share and the earnings per share are a dollar, then that stock sells at a PE of 20. And that gives you an idea. I think a PE, I always tell the class, the PE is a measure of sex appeal. The higher the, the PE is, the sexier that stock is in the eyes of investors. And you know, uh, I am what's called a value investor. And that means I'm looking for stocks with very low PEs because what makes a stock go up? is when a company exceeds expectations. So I'm looking for companies that where the expectations are so low that if just pe- people show up for work, the stock's gonna rise, you know? And it's something, and I, I think that's the risk return trade-off. And the dividend yield, you think about the dividend yield, that's very important for something in that if you buy a stock with no dividend, you are totally, your return is totally a function of getting that stock price to go up. But if you buy a stock with a dividend, and you think the company is going to do better over time, you're getting paid while you wait. And that's a very important, uh, very important consideration for, uh, for investors. And then when we look at companies, uh, we can, one of the things we see is another term called market capitalization. And, it's, and that's a, actually a very simple calculation. If I were to say to you, what's a big company versus a small company? We would just ask a man on the street here. Um, they would tell me, a big company has a lot of employees or a lot of high, high profits or maybe a lot of facilities, but that's not what Wall Street thinks of when they think of large versus small. They're just looking at market capitalization, which is the number of shares outstanding times the stock price. What is the company worth on the exchange? And uh, there's a couple of different categories. There's uh, small cap. These are companies that uh, you know really uh, are not that large. Then mid cap kind of in the middle and large cap, which is you know, the big companies that we always think of, everything from the Microsoft and the Netflix and, and all that. Uh, over long, long periods of time, uh, small caps have outperformed all the other indexes uh, because they've got more room to grow. 
And, uh, and also one of the things is it's not, small caps aren't followed by as many people on Wall Street. So you could really find a hidden gem somewhere. And uh, which is what we do with our students. I mean, we go deep into the bayous and find these companies and uh, you know, nobody's visited them in 10 years. We get in there and it's like, oh, it's, it's the Tulane kids, uh, get the donuts. You know, it's, um, you know, it's <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, those are all the, those are all the categories you, uh, you, people ought to, be, uh, ought to be looking at. And of course, one of the things that is difficult to be a long-term investor is ideally you want diversification. You want to own a stock in a lot of different companies. And if you're a young, if you're a small investor, that's going to be tough to do. Most people think diversification is 12 stocks in 12 different industries. That's kind of, kind of where the, where things start to level out. And, you know, that's a lot of money for most, most investors. So most people just invest in a mutual fund that might have a hundred or 200 stocks in there. And uh, so one of the things that I had, this guy had said, this, this savant at the edit bay was, you know, get like five or six, diversify across um, industries, but also diversify across sizes. So I had like Procter and Gamble, I had Johnson and Johnson, then I had AMD, and I had, I think for some reason I bought a, um, and it was recent. I got a furniture company, like an office furniture company. Right. But it was all these different things. They all had different market caps and different uh, sizes. When you're looking at like their actual because everyone loves to go to, it's like um, when you had baseball cards, you flip on the back and you're like, oh, this guy hit 50 home runs one year. I think right. the big thing everyone looks at is the trend, right? Like the, um, the actual stock movement over five years, one year. It sounds obvious, a healthy stock goes up, a bad stock goes down, but like, what are some things people could look at when they look at that uh, stock movement over a time to know that it's something they want to invest in? Well, I think one of the things you want to see is consistently rising earnings. Uh, maybe not, and even if they're going up, I don't want them jumping all over the place. I want it, you can just almost project how much the earnings are going to grow every year. And that in the long run is going to help project where the stock's going to go over the years. Uh, the other thing that investors get wrong is they find something with enormous uh, potential. And, you know, maybe it's Tesla, uh, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's something like that. But there's certainly the future earnings for Tesla are, are enormous. I mean, maybe higher than we can count, but how much of it, and I love this expression, is already baked in the cake. It's, uh, it's already in that stock price. All those positive expectations are already built into that stock price. That's why it sells at the price it does. Not on today's earnings, but on earnings five, 10, 15 years from now. And so that's the tough part. I sometimes say that in terms of a uh, those, uh, the future of a company already built into the stock price is, uh, you know, it's in there, you know, which is like ragu spaghetti sauce, which was the ad was, <laughs> as an Italian American, I thought that would be a good thing to mention, but, it's, uh, but that's it. I mean, a company, if, when it all sheds down, a company's stock price will go up when it exceeds expectations and it'll go down when it disappoints on expectations. Like for instance, one of the things you see every quarter is a company will announce its earnings its revenue and its earnings. And what you'll see, at least in the short run, is if Wall Street had expected that you would earn a dollar a share and you only earn 50 cents a share, that stock's gonna decline. And if it, you thought, Wall Street thought it was gonna be a dollar a share was gonna be earnings and it's two bucks, that stock's gonna rise. So it's all based on expectations. And I think that's, that's really the, uh, the important part in here. And you know, once again, if you're a speculator, all this seems, either 
ridiculous or, or at least unimportant. And that is the side. I don't believe in that side of the market because what you're doing there is you're playing the greater fool theory. I'll pay $22 a share for this company because in my mind, I think somebody a week from now will pay $25. I don't want to do that. I want to buy a stock where I realize that I'm an investor in that company and I want to participate in the growth of that company and the growth of that company's earnings. And I think that's what's really, uh, that's what it always comes down to. And the other thing that's interesting about stocks is that everything given to you is on a per share basis. And that's the stock sells at price per share and earnings per share and dividend per share. They never give you raw numbers because raw numbers would be just crazy. It would be, if you said that our earnings last quarter, uh, $31,265,712, we say, oh, that's great. But if you give it on an earnings per share basis, then everybody can find where the valuations are. And I, I think a lot of people don't know that. They hear that you know Microsoft earned $3.50 last quarter, and I think half America goes, damn, I did better than that. You know, it's, uh, it's like per share, it's like a zillion eight, you know? <laughs> So I was going to ask you now, I think, is there anything else you, you really thought that was important to like knowing what a stock is? Yeah, let's see what I, I had in here. That's a, um, well, one important thing is that over long periods of time, uh, stocks have been the best investments out there. Uh, they, in fact, if you would put 30 years ago, if you put $1,000 into a stock, let's say the S&P 500, a whole group of group of stocks, um, that $1,000, if you reinvested the dividends back in when they came, would be worth $38,000. Slowly, but slowly, and average, average stock, but the market on an average year uh, goes up 10% a year. And then that just builds on itself. Now, some years it's down 30%, some years it's up 40%. But on average, it produces a 10% rate of return. And that's, that's usually, that's pretty attractive for people. The other thing that is really important is liquidity. The great thing about stocks, we'll talk about the two great things about stocks. If you buy a stock and hoping the price goes up, you have one great thing in your favor. The stock has unlimited gain potential. It can go to whatever number going on. You can make an unlimited amount of money but you have limited loss potential. If you invest $2,000 in a stock and it goes to zero, you can only lose $2,000. It's not like they're coming and saying, can I have the car? You know, it's nothing like, it's nothing like that. And uh, that's one of the things that you have a big advantage. The other big advantage of stocks over other asset classes is that you have liquidity. Like for instance, uh, if you go to uh, houses, real estate's been great for instance, uh, but you can't sell that house instantaneously. And according to the market, Maybe you get you can sell it in a couple of weeks and there's a bidding war, but just as likely it sits there with a for sale sign for six months and you can't get your money out of it. Where stocks, you can just go to go to online and you can sell that stock in five seconds. And that is worth a lot to a lot of people. You know, you need the money or you get you just think it's time. You you have the opportunity to get out very, very quickly and get in very, very quickly. And that's that's a big difference. I'll give an example of the extreme is uh, I still have my baseball cards from 1966, which I believe is one of my most important assets. And uh, it is, <laughs> but baseball cards, you always hear about, I, you know, Mickey Mantle cost a nickel, it came with the gum, and now it's worth, uh, you know, a couple of million dollars. Well, one of the things about those kind of investments 
is they'll tell you it's worth, let's say, a couple of million dollars. But that's that's the ask. That's the price anyone's willing to sell it for. But the bid might be a million dollars. And that's the price that um, if you went to sell it, you'd have to, you would get for it. And stocks traded a very, very narrow range between the amount people are willing to pay for it and the amount people are willing to sell it for. Yeah. That, that, that makes perfect sense, I guess, in, in terms of like your ability to turn it over quickly. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So um, I don't know. I, I've been trying to keep up this week after the whole GameStop shenanigans. Uh, it looks like there's been a couple other things in the market, but I didn't want to know, like, what did you see happening in the stock market this week? What was something that like caught your eye? Well, first of all, a lot of optimism. Uh, they feel that uh, aside from the impeachment trials and all that on the side, the, the optimism here is that the economy is going to really pick up in the second half. And when we think of the economy picking up, corporate earnings are really going to pick up in the second half. And that's what's pushed investors into the markets. And that's why we're selling at all-time highs here. And, uh, and the other things, the sideshows like GameStop seem to have, uh, uh, seem to have gone away. And uh, it's, that's a very, very positive sign. I think you're, get, you're going from having the, um, the lunatic fringe investor money uh, into, the, into what I think would be called nicely stronger hands. And when you saw, um, like you said, corporate earnings is what a stock is a measure of. Um, looking out at, you know, five, six months, we still are in a kind of a bad economy, people would say. What, what does this mean? What is the stock market? It's not interacting with the economy anymore. Or what's happening? Yeah, there's a lot of people say, you know, it's been divorced from the economy, but I, I don't think so because the stock market is about six to nine months ahead of the economy. And they're not reflecting where things are today. They're reflecting where things are going to be uh, down the road. And six to nine months brings you to the uh, end of 2021. And investors are saying that's going to look a lot better uh, than it does right now. And you know, there's a good chance that that's uh, correct. We would hope that everybody would be vaccinated by then, or at least that's what the stock market hopes. And um, people are going to have a lot of pent up demand uh, that they, you know, they weren't able to go to a concert. They maybe they weren't able to uh, uh, take that vacation. And so the stocks that are tending to do best during this vaccination rollout are the companies that were hurt the most. So if you really wanted to play a recovery in the economy and the health of America, you really wouldn't be in a, uh, maybe a furniture uh, making company, something like that. You'd be in a cruise ship or a hotel or, or an airline. The ones that have been hurt the worst and stand to benefit the, the most when things turn back around. Uh, I think the thing that's got everybody so excited though is that uh, these earnings that just came out this week and will be coming out for the next couple of weeks look really good. They look really good and things haven't improved that much yet. And they're saying, well, when things begin to turn in the actual economy and people are out there spending again, those earnings are going to look phenomenal. And that's uh, ideally, that's eventually what, what propels stocks. So uh, the other thing is, I think uh, the idea that the stimulus plan is probably going to go through, uh, even if it's just Democrats or however they're going to do it, uh, people think uh, that is going to uh, really, first of all, tied a lot of people over that are really having a difficult time. And the other is uh, put money in people's pockets to spend, uh, particularly in the middle class. One of the things that people don't get right is that when there's, say, there's a tax cut or some sort of benefit, people say, well, let's give it to the super wealthy because they're the job creators and it'll all work out. And you go back to like trickle down economics, which 
sounds disgusting, by the way. It's uh, just, uh, yeah, I, just want, I don't know who made that up. But the truth of the matter is the tax breaks and in this case, the stimulus really ought to be directed at the middle class. And that's what they're trying to do. Because if you give it to the super wealthy, they're going to keep a lot of it or maybe invest in treasuries or stocks, or whatever, but they're not going to spend very much of it. And if you give it to the middle class for good or for bad, they're going to spend every cent. And that's what generates the, the economy. It's one reason the 2017 tax cut really didn't work because it was so focused on corporations and the very wealthy and corporations just used it to buy back their own stock and there was nothing going on. So the real surprise is that the job creators are not the super wealthy. The job creators are actually the middle-class consumer. And that's, uh, and some people know it, some people try to hide that knowledge, but it's, uh, it's true. And uh, that's what we, we have, to, have to remember. And another, you know, kind of talking, you, you'd mentioned it there before you got uh, into that earnings. Um, is this just the time of year where we start to see corporate earnings or what's coming down? Why, why are earnings such, so big these next couple of weeks? Absolutely. Yeah. Companies uh, report earnings every quarter. And so they're now basically reporting their fourth quarter and fourth quarter 2020 uh, and year end 2020 numbers. And those are coming out. They uh, tend to drift uh, over about a month of coming out. Some companies are uh, just can just tend to report very early in the in the cycle, and then other companies is like you know there's a restriction when you have to get it out, and it seems like five minutes before the the, the bell goes off, they they issue earnings. And uh, but it's happening four times a year. I have a lot of students that are analysts on Wall Street, and this is the time of year I always tell the current students. Uh, you know, don't give those alums a call, you know, to, to try to help you out with the job, or whatever. This is, this is their lumpy period. This is the only time, this four times a year, they won't talk to you. And this is it. This is a, a tremendous amount of work that goes, uh, goes into this. Because all those analysts, by the way, have models. That's what we do with the students, too. Models to try to figure out what's that company going to earn in the future. Uh, one of the big secrets about Wall Street is nobody's going to pay you a half a million dollars to know what the company looks like now or what it looked like last year. All those big dollars go to have you try to figure out where's the company going to be next year, three years, five years down the road. And these are like clues when the company comes out. One thing that you, not many people know is that when a company reports quarterly earnings, first of all, it's if you go to the website for the company, there's usually an investor relations section there. Uh, they'll tell you when it's going to be, and you can listen in. In fact, you may even be able to ask questions. So you can, uh, it's, it's pretty exciting, really. This is how everything's changed in my 40 years in this business. Before, there was no connection. You couldn't get any information. Now you can just, you know, waddle up to Zoom and, um, <laughs> and say, but why were, you know, sales so weak in Asia? It's just incredible. And of course, this, is, this fits right back into why public companies hate being public now. But it's, uh, and you will see the PowerPoint presentation they're giving to investors right, right there. So uh, yeah, this is a, a wild timey, time of year. And the company will also, not all companies will do this, but a lot of companies will give uh, what they call, um, let's see, a lot of companies will give what they call guidance. And they'll try to give you an idea of what the company's earnings are going to look like going forward. And, uh, and that's an, another, good, another good clue. Uh, some people, by the way, think you should buy stock in companies that you understand. And I think that makes a lot of sense, too. Uh, Peter Lynch was the great money manager at 
Fidelity Magellan Fund, and we still use his book, uh, One Up on Wall Street. But he talks about uh, the fact that, um, first of all, you should only buy stock in a company where with a crayon and a napkin, you could explain to somebody what they do, which I think really, <laughs> really helps. I really do. And the other is that you're going to have advantages of knowing things maybe before Wall Street in an industry that you maybe you work in or you're very, uh, very familiar with. Like I just laugh when we go to visit companies with my students. One of the first things we look at is, is the parking lot full? You know, it's, well, what's that? You know is the place full of a, with, if it's a retail store, they, a lot of shoppers or if it's the corporate headquarters, obviously they're, they're using all the workers they can. Things must be pretty good in there. Yeah, I haven't even thought about that. So the parking lot could tell you something about a company. Uh, I was going to ask you, uh, since this is the first, so you got the fourth quarter quarter earnings that's coming out this week. Um, Does that set the table? Like if you're looking at earnings this week, is that, are they using that as a marker to see what the rest of the year could be? Is that how the stock market looks at these fourth quarter earnings? Like, well, they're this way, they could be better. Yeah, absolutely. They're looking, there's a term for that called the run rate, which is uh, if you earn 30 cents a share this quarter, uh, maybe that analyst sees, a little bit of growth and maybe they think next quarter will be 32 cents a share and the next one 34 cents a share so it is that is the marker it's setting what the expectations are going forward and of course that's what that man or woman is being paid for is to figure uh, figure all that out and when the earnings come out it's kind of interesting because you it immediately just goes into a comparison and the first thing is what were those earnings against what wall street was expecting and the second one you'll hear is what were those earnings versus the same quarter last year? And that gives you an idea of the, uh, of the growth record of the company. And I think that's, uh, that's a very good way to, a very good way to look at it. Now, the reason, by the way, that they don't necessarily look, let's say the fourth quarter of 2020, the reason most people don't look too much the third quarter of 2020 is there may be seasonality. Like if, you know, if you're a retailer, um, you know, you've got to be compared against the fourth quarter of 2020. The third quarter, you didn't make any money. Probably didn't make any money in the first or second quarters either. And, uh, you know, they say that the holidays are very important to some people. And uh, those people are called retailers. So it's uh, <laughs> not necessarily religious fanatics. But I mean, it's... Uh...